Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. Nobody out. Three and two on Charlotte. Jokic gets it across the timeline. Gets a high pick and pop with Murray. Lindsey breaking through. Taken away by Nathan McKinnon. Two on two with Landeskog. He has done it again. Vaughn Miller, ladies and gentlemen. Dumped two hands. Nikola Jokic. Save me by Grubauer with the left pad. Oh, goodness gracious me. Take a good look. You won't see it tomorrow. Two on home run. Trevor Story. Touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders. Welcome into the Denver Sports Podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery, your official BSN Denver beer. I'm your host, Ali Monroy, and with me today is Ryan Konigsberg, Harrison Wind, Drew Creaseman, and filling in for AJ is Nathan Rudolph. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Rudolph, Big shoes to fill Rudolph, for the abs. Rudolph, Rudolph. Where is like AJ? That. Somewhere in Canada. Who knows? Hockey country. Yeah. AJ is on vacation, so I argue he won the week. Just <laughs> throwing it's it a out. Pretty there. good argument. Easy. Done. That's where the hockey comes from, eh? All right, guys. We got to talk about some Rockies. Drew, the team lost their. We? we do? We, we do. <laughs> okay. It is what's going on in Denver right now. It is. The Rockies lost their series against the Diamondbacks and just continue to struggle. Yeah, yeah, they they keep losing ball games. Uh, they they can't put together two wins in a row. I can't remember the last time they did that. I think it's been over a month now since they've put together just two in a row. Uh, it, it's an absolutely brutal stretch of the season. Uh, so much of it's coming from the pitching, but not always. You, you see these frustrating moments like. When they don't need it, yesterday was the perfect example. The you know starting pitcher just doesn't have it. Uh, they get behind the eight ball. They're seven to one early, and then the bullpen goes out and throws seven shutout innings. Oh my god! Like when you don't need them to, yep. then they're fantastic. But you know you've got a six to three lead. 
the other night. Peter Lambert pitches five very quality innings. The offense scores early. They answered a couple of runs from the Diamondbacks with a couple of home runs from Story and McMahon to go up 6-3. And then before they could get one out, the bullpen blew the lead. Jake McGee gave up three runs, left the game before getting an out. Chad Bettis gives up a home run, and it's 7-6 to six before the bullpen has recorded a single out. And Ed, that's just that's the rocky season. Story right of the year. Yeah, exactly. It's so brutal to watch. Actually, I shouldn't say it's brutal to watch because I stopped watching a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> ah, <laughs> well, smart man. Yeah. With the way the season's gone, the Rockies have begun to adjust their roster. Chris Iannetta being designated for assignment. What did you think of that move? We should probably pour one out for Chris Iannetta. <laughs> we, we should. Pour a, Brew a Colorado Rocky. Through and through. Absolutely, man. Uh, 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 also, went to Fairview for one year. Wait, he did? Yes, he did. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Fun what fact. year? Do you know that? I don't. Wait, no, that was uh, Nick Hundley. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah some of those, some of those catcher other guys. Pretty bad Rockies <laughs> He's kind of Chris Iannetti. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is funny. We were sort of talking about this before we came on earlier. Like, what is the legacy of Chris Iannetti? And it's weird because statistically speaking, he really is the best catcher in Rockies history and that doesn't speak well to the history of Rockies catching you're really going to do my guy your Vitorial but like that <laughs> come on <laughs> they've never had an all-star but they should have in Miguel Olivo yeah that was that was an interesting one there for a minute but uh yeah they just haven't had anybody be able to hold down that spot and it is one of the more difficult positions in all of sports to find longevity uh, behind the plate a lot of guys burn out there really quickly so the fact that he had a, a 10-year career in major league baseball uh, it's maybe not even over yet uh, there's a, a number of other teams that have picked him up uh, he's had some years where he's hit like 20 home runs in this league and and so yeah and came up as a rocky returned to the rockies he's the only guy who's been on the last four postseason teams for the Rockies. Uh, kind of weird because he was on none of the teams in the middle there. But I also don't think that's entirely coincidental. I've had the opportunity to talk to Chris a lot. We actually still have an article coming out where we're talking about some of the advancements in technology. And, you know, when he first came into the game in 2007, guys weren't using virtual reality goggles, which are now a part of the game of baseball. So we got to talk to him about that. And you think about all the things he's seen over the years and the experience. That's probably why he'll, he'll end up on a postseason team out there. Uh, the guy knows the game really, really well. Can you simulate a virtual reality where the Rockies are good? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's called MLB The Show, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Those VR goggles are so cool. I have a, qu yeah. I have a question uh, regarding catchers and other things in baseball. Why are certain positions, like, always certain ways? Like, catchers aren't as good of hitters. Second basemen don't hit for power. Why? Um, some of that is just traditional thinking. Like the second baseman not hitting for power, I think more has to do with, you know, traditionally speaking, you want somebody on your team who's a little bit more of a speed and defense guy, and that's a good place to do it, where you don't need that in left field or first base as much. But for catcher, it really is just the toll it takes on your body. Just literally getting down and squatting behind the plate for nine innings a day. It's the reason why nobody catches 150 games a year anymore. Um, and, and guys that did back in the day, their careers were over at 32. Uh, and so I think it's just a lot of it's the toll it takes on your body to catch. 
it's really, really hard to do all of the things. Plus, the information you have to process. Catchers, most of the time, everybody spends most of their time in the hitting cage if you're a baseball player. But catchers spend most of their time studying every single member of the opposite lineup so that their pitcher knows how to navigate that, thinking about every pitch they have to call. Like Dom Nunez making his debut last night, of all the things, like we want to talk, the home run was great, throwing guys out. He had to call a baseball game. He had to call 150, 160 pitches and, and decide what was strategically the best way to navigate a major league lineup. And that's probably the most difficult thing about being a catcher. So sometimes in doing all of that, it's very difficult to get in your work to be a good hitter. So it's, it's, that, it's similar to why pitchers aren't good. Because you always hear about these pitchers right. who were like great in high school as hitters. And then when they get to the majors, they spend so much time working on pitching that they just don't have time to keep up with, with hitting. Right. Exactly right. And then there are a handful of phenoms over the years, and you know we know all their names. Like, like you can go down the list. Buster Posey is the you know most recent one. Salvador Perez, who can't stay healthy. Mike Piazza, you know we know the names Pudge. of Pudge of the guys who could hit over the years. You could probably there's ten to fifteen in the history of Major League Baseball who were just truly elite offensive players, regardless of position at catcher. What's the most popular position that managers have played? Because catcher, catcher seems like probably yeah because like you like you said you just got to know the game at a different level yeah, as you a learn catcher so much. yeah yeah so I, I would I, think it's catcher I would think catcher and there and, and there are a lot of pitchers a lot of yeah. former pitchers too because it, it's a similar thing but yeah a lot of catchers have been really and a lot of the best managers over the years you know Joe Torre was a catcher Mike Sosha was a catcher um, back in the day I think. I'm reaching way. I think Connie Mack was a catcher, but that's going back into like early Girardi, way back. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Girardi is a catcher. Exactly right. Catchers do seem like they're being left behind a little bit, I would say, with the versatility, the adaption of, of the game. Guys like Shohei Otani as a pitcher, granted he blew up his arm immediately, but <laughs> guys that can do more than just the one position. But catchers still seem extremely specialized. They don't seem to rotate around the diamond as much. Is that relatively true yeah and and that's one of the reasons why it's, you can get a little bit pigeonholed there uh, it, it has been interesting to see the rockies do that sometimes with tony wolters they will still now they can't do it as much now that he's the primary catcher but when he was the backup they used to throw him out there at second base and shortstop even every once in a while because that's what he came up as he was converted later on in life but uh yeah you just you, you can't be versatile if you're going to be a catcher that pretty much has to be your only job and that's got to be another reason why there's not a lot of great hitting catchers because if you're in high school and you're absolutely raking and even if you're a good catcher you know the toll that being a catcher takes on your body you might as well say like all right i better figure out another position or else i'm not going to last as long it's clearly the worst position oh yeah and, and this <laughs> may happened, be the worst position in sports <laughs> it happened with uh bryce harper yeah, right uh nolan arenado was a catcher in high school and they were like no no, we're 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 gonna need that bat. That makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah. The wear and tear on the knees is too much. If you're an elite yeah. offensive player, they take you off and they put you in the outfield or something. Right. And that's Andre. He's running the board, by the way, for anyone who doesn't Dre. know Andre's voice. Hi. <laughs> Dre's been trying to chime in every week, so we just gave him a microphone. I that, gave we myself thought he was a microphone. Speak when spoken to. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he can just chime in whenever he wants. True. True. He's, he's got all the power. He controls the board. Yeah, he can mute you, Ryan. So you better so be nice to Tony him. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> all right, well, we're going to move on to some football. Obviously, preseason is preseason. Um, but we did have a chance to see the first team 
Broncos first team play some minutes against the Seahawks last Thursday, including Joe Flacco. Ryan, what did you think of the offense? I thought the first team looked pretty good. I mean, they didn't really do anything. Yeah. Um, in they terms had two of, drives. Well, they had one drive one. as the first team offense, and they didn't ask Flacco to do anything. I mean, he threw uh, two passes to Philip Lindsay, one to Royce Freeman, and then the one incompletion he had because he went three for four was a fade in the end zone, which he probably should have completed to Corlin Sutton, but he had a lot of pressure in his face and ended up missing the throw. But, I mean, to go down and get three, uh, especially for as low as the bar is for Broncos offense for to score, they're one for one scoring points on drives. I thought it was encouraging. And then the defense obviously was awesome. They gave up one big play, uh, which was like a 27-yard catch for Richard Penny. Um, other than that, they gave up – that was the only first down. They gave up 40 total yards over two drives. So they looked really good. I think – it's such a small sample size that you can't, you know, take that and say, oh, the Broncos are going to be great this year. But it was nice to see them go out there and have success because of how much failure we've seen over the last few years. If they had gone out in the opposite, let's say Flacco throws a pick and then the defense goes and gives up a touchdown, like people would be in panic mode. So to avoid that, I think it was a win in the first preseason game. The offense can't get much worse. Than right? it has been. Yeah. Really, yeah, for sure. Like, there's no way the Broncos offense this year is worse than it was last year. No, I mean, no way. The thing is, they're still reliant on two players. And if if Joe Flacco can become a guy they can rely on, then you'll see them take a big leap forward, I think. But in the end, this offense is still just Philip Lindsay and Emmanuel Sanders until yeah. further notice. So that's the one thing that gives me a bit of worry. You're counting on a, a guy who we now found out had two surgeries on his lower legs mm. as a speed and quickness guy in, in Emmanuel Sanders. He had a an Achilles surgery and then he had to get a different surgery on his ankle and the other leg it's like that's your offense he's your best player and he's a 31 year old receiver coming off two surgeries uh, obviously Philip Lindsay is is the other guy but until I see Cortland Sutton take a step forward or Deshaun Hamilton take a step forward or even Royce Freeman that's my biggest concern is okay if teams are able to take away those two guys we're going to see a lot more ugly offense when did uh Emmanuel Sanders tear his ACL or his Achilles it was later in the season. He missed four games, so week 13 or whatever. I feel like we're not making a big enough deal about him How getting fast? back from that in yeah, that's like crazy. eight months. It that's is pretty typically crazy. a year at the minimum, and especially in football, which seems like it would take longer to come back in football than any other sport. And he was at a, he was full sprinting like six months in. Yeah, that's crazy. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Vic Fangio likes to pat himself on the back, though, because he says he called it. <laughs> He did. He's like, uh, he's like. I mean, someone was like, "What's the biggest surprise of camp?" He's like, "Well, I mean, it's not a surprise to me. I called it, but it's <laughs> a, probably surprising to you guys that Emmanuel Sanders looks as good as he does." Drew Locke did better this week against the Seahawks. What did you think of his performance? I loved it. Uh, absolutely loved it because he comes off a game, a Hall of Fame game, which was a struggle for him. And you know, I talk about panic. There's a lot of Broncos fans who are panicking. Oh, another bust. Blah blah blah. Then he comes back, um, takes what he learned in that game, applies it in practice for a week, comes out against the Seahawks, and and uh, Brian Baldinger, who does these Twitter breakdowns, pointed it out. He had 10 really good throws in that game. And out of – I think he threw the ball 30 some 31 times. 10 elite throws in that is pretty darn good. Um, moved the ball, scored some points. There was a lull in the middle for him, which you don't want to see, but he's like he is still a rookie. So I thought seeing him take adversity on the chin, 
he was super uncomfortable in the in the locker room in Canton after that game because I just don't I, I think he's so used to being the guy who's like super hyped up and all the fans love him and then we're in there asking him questions like why what, what was like what was so hard about it and this stuff and you could tell he was like uncomfortable with the fact that he all of a sudden the honeymoon phase was kind of over for him I really like seeing him take that tough moment and come back instantly a week later and improve I think that tells you a lot about him because that happens in all sports right when you go from being like big man on campus in college to being a rookie I mean it happens yeah. in the NBA like mm-hmm. learning how to for example play point guard in the NBA probably a little bit like playing quarterback in the NFL as a rookie I don't know I think that tells you a lot about him it does it was the, the most encouraging thing I've seen from him since he got mm-hmm. to Denver can I say that game was emblematic of what Drew Locke was as a prospect, where it's like he can make great throws off of awkward footing, but then he'll miss easy ones because his footwork isn't consistent. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that is just going to have to improve over time. It, it, at least you see the high ceiling, though. Like, you know, we can talk about Paxton Lynch, who actually had a pretty good game, um, which. I don't even want to go down that road. But <laughs> fans were very Broncos he, fans were he, very upset about that. <laughs> he wasn't making the elite stuff. He he was the opposite during his preseason career with the Broncos, which was like he was only making the easy stuff happen. Then when things got tough, he kind of crumbled. I'd much rather see a guy be able to do the elite throws, like the the throw that uh, Drew Locke had to Troy Fumagalli, where the ball was literally in Fumagalli's hands before he even knew it was coming. Like he turned his head. By the time he made eye contact with Drew, the ball was already in his hands. Like that one, and then seeing the replay of it in slow motion, which I I didn't see during the game. His throw to Juwan Winfrey for the two point conversion. There's three guys right in the neighborhood, and he just absolutely unleashes one in between all of them and into the hands of Winfrey. I'd much rather see a guy do that and say, okay, now when the guy's wide open on a little five yard out, you just need to make sure your feet are set. That's way easier for me to fix. All right. Well, the Nuggets had some news. Their schedule was released this week. It was. Harrison, anything that stood out to you from that? I don't know. Nothing crazy. It's a good schedule. It's kind of like last year's start off pretty easy. Mm -hmm. I think 12 of their first 17 opponents missed the playoffs last year. So an easy start. Uh, they have a really tough March, but, I mean, everybody's got a tough month mixed in there, and the the finish isn't that bad either. So, I mean, I, I was super high on them, obviously, you know, this, throughout this whole offseason, but I think the schedule is is a pretty, you know, generous one for them. Was there a way in which the schedule could have come out that you would have, you know, maybe cooled? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like – you look at the start and – um I just think for them, like even though they have the continuity there and like they might get off to a hot start no matter what, because everybody like the Clippers are learning how to play with one another. The Rockets are learning how to yeah. play with one another. The Nuggets know how to play with one another. So, I mean, like they, if there was a slightly tougher schedule to begin, I think that still would have been fine. But I think you want a nice open to the schedule really no matter what. Just so you can get off to a good start, kind of get out ahead of things. Right, that's their biggest advantage, right, is they're the team with continuity. So they should really get a whole shot and kind of hopefully get a stranglehold on the one seed and maybe grab a couple games early so they can play from ahead instead of playing. Oh, I think it's going to be like last year. Like they started 9-1 last year. I think they could start, you know, 13-4 and this year if you're looking at the first 17, like I said. 12 of those first 17 come against teams who missed the playoffs last year, so – 
I think they'll start hot and, uh, yeah, be the top seed in the West, like, you know, a couple months into the year. That's a very realistic possibility, like it was last year. But it's a good schedule. You they, do like the ending, though? Yeah, it's it's tough, but, uh, you know, at the end of the season, you kind of want a chance to control your own destiny. That yeah. worked out well for them last year. Last um, year was a tough ending, though. <laughs> yeah, they do have Utah twice in the last five games uh, of this upcoming season. So that could decide a couple things at the end of the year. But they do also play Portland, including the preseason, like five times in the first month. So We're going to have some drama there. <laughs> Potentially, but a lot of the <laughs> names that started the drama That's true. They're in that gone. playoff series are gone. Cantor's not in Portland anymore. Seth Curry. Seth Curry's gone. Nurkic is going to be hurt for the first part of the year, at least. Yeah, it's a good schedule. It's a good schedule. All right, before we move on to our next segment, I've got to tell you guys about the incredible Total Bev 30% off deal. That's right, Total Bev is giving the BSN fam 30% off your purchase of $25 or more using the promo code BSN2019 online or on the Total Beverage app. Total Bev delivers to most of the metro area from Lakewood to Boulder and from Aurora to Brighton, and they have the lowest prices in the state. Plus, they now offer CBD products. That's right, from drinks to gummies, you can enjoy CBD products on your next visit. Don't let this offer pass you by. Order today and receive 30% off your purchase of $25 or more, and better yet, don't leave the comfort of your own home and get it delivered. So this week, I'm going to have each of you guys give me one just one rule that you want changed in your individual sport. Drew, I know you have a few. So you, we'll start with you. And you got to just choose one. <laughs> well, anyone who listens to the BSN Rockies podcast is going to be totally unsurprised by <laughs> my answer or follows me on Twitter or has ever read anything I've written. But uh, I want an electronic strike zone. I want it yesterday. I want it bad. I, I think it just is incongruous with the rest of the way we live in a modern world that we still have human beings, typically human beings who are in their 60s trying to track 100-mile-an-hour fastballs with extreme movement, and we have the tools that show us that they fail to do this well at a rate that should be unacceptable, and we have the tools available to just get the calls right, and we refuse to do so out of some misguided tradition-based pining for what baseball is about when it's really not as fundamental a change as I think people understand. The rule book defines the strike zone. It's always been that way. Uh, umpires are just really bad at enforcing that particular rule. Is that just because it's hard? A lot of it, yeah. It's just really hard to do. And, and you know, some people get into conspiracy theories. Big market teams get these calls. Veteran pitchers. And those aren't necessarily conspiracy theories. I will say there's some data that suggests that there are certain biases there as well. But I think ultimately, yeah, if you don't want to get too weird about it, put too much on the umpires, it's just hard to call balls and strikes. I love it. And this seems like a rule that everybody would make a big deal out of now. And then once they change it, like two years into it, people are like, why didn't we do this 10 years ago? Right. I have a feeling that once it gets changed, and I think it will, but people are going to be like, man, we should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Would you be open to something like tennis where they have like 10 challenges? Like, so you still have the ump, but then you challenge one. It's super quick. You go to the scoreboard. It's like, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a strike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think maybe a couple of game would be good. That to a game or something? Nothing. We don't need anything else to slow baseball down more. Right? <laughs> no, true. thank you. I guess like, what's the point? If you're gonna go that far, what would be the point of not just going all the way with it? Because I'm assuming the point, the the way it would work is there's still an umpire who lets everyone know if it's a ball or a strike, but like. They have like a wristband on and it vibrates their right hand if right. it's a strike and their left hand if it's a ball or something like that. Yeah, that's the basic premise. There are, there are a few ways. Like I think the way they're doing it, they're testing it out in an independent league now and they have like an earpiece with a voice that says ball or strike and then they just nice. call it. Who's doing the voice? It's, like, yeah, a, right. it's like a navigation thing where yeah. you can <laughs> switch the voice. <laughs> right. It's like your GPS. Put it, put it on It's like, French. can I please get the British woman? <laughs> <laughs> That was a ball. <laughs> <laughs> that was a strike. No, I love it, Drew. I love that rule. I agree. Yeah. Should have happened yesterday. so unbelievably silly that we aren't doing that right now. Well, and the craziest thing is, like Harrison said, so this is the premise of the article I'm about to publish, and I've talked to a few players, and of course you have to talk to them off record because nobody wants, because they know the, the world they live in. It's always funny when people come out and write articles. Is The players aren't so sure about the electronic strike zone. Of course they're not going to go on record with you trashing the umpires. Yeah, they're never going to get a good call again. <laughs> never going to get a good call again. And that's exactly why we need but you talk to these guys off the record and, and one of the things that they say we're already using the technology to call balls and strikes just after the fact every guy whether you're a pitcher or a hitter if you're in a bat and strike three doesn't go your way and you think it was a bad call they all do the same thing they go and look at the same mm-hmm. thing we've all got access to mm-hmm. the same box the same information they go to Statcast, they see where the pitch was and they go yep i got screwed and then what are they supposed to do with yeah. that have you spoken to any of the umpires? How do they feel about it? I feel like it makes their <laughs> How job would you feel easier. About losing uh, your job? Not well, great. Oh, well, I mean, if you still have someone on the field, like on the yeah. mound calling, I feel like it just makes their job easier because they don't have that much hate on them. There are some umpires who feel that way. Um, most of the ones who've gone on record talking about it uh, don't like it because they think that, that yeah, that some some we're trying to take their job away, which I, I really don't think about. You still need still a have home to call like if they're home safer out at the plate, or right? Whatever. Check you still swings, need box. There, there's yeah. all kinds of stuff. You still need a home. No, they plate suck at that for. too. Right. <laughs> check swing. <laughs> check yeah, swing yeah, is check like swing. the biggest farce in baseball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the most subjective. Changes every time. I feel like right. half the time those umps on the first and third baseline aren't paying attention. No Like what? I've seen them do it. The camera flashes to them. They're like. What? <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's so many things you still need a home play umpire for. And I do think, I think the turning point will be there's going to be a really bad call in a postseason game. And then umpires are going to get a lot of hate for it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, we don't want this kind of attention. We want the safety of, because that's how like replay has come about in other sports. Like the well. pass interference in the Super Bowl. Exactly. exactly. All I hear is the turning point will be Angel Hernandez when you say <laughs> that. <laughs> it will be. It's going to be an Angel Hernandez call because he's so bad. I mean, but there were. There were so many bad ones just last night, and and it's it's way way higher than it should be. It's a fundamental part. It'd be like if the basket changed sizes every time down, if the strike zone changing size, or like if some drives it was nine yards for a first down, and some it was thirteen. It's it's yeah. like that's how yeah. fundamental it is to the game to think that we're just okay with not enforcing it properly because. We've always gone with a way that's been bad at enforcing it. It's just dumb. What's Do their percentage of getting them right, balls and strikes? Uh, it depends on, like, the overall percentage is a little bit under 90, but you've also got to remember that that includes, like, absolute gimme calls. Right, and that means 
stuff know, one right out of every the... ten pitches. So every two at bats, there's one that they get wrong. Right. And and then that number goes way up if you start talking about like borderline pitches, which are actually the difficult ones where you really need the umpire to call right. it. And that false or that that missed rate is about twenty two percent. That's way too high. What do you I, think? I have a I have a final question. That's a ten year low. Ten year. Um, do players in baseball get superstar calls? When it comes to balls and strikes. Absolutely, they do. And and I don't know if there's a way to totally prove this through the data, though I'm trying. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Ab- and, and, and one of the things that's funny is like almost every pitcher will tell you this. Like I asked Bud Black, this is one of the quotes coming up in the piece about it. And he said, when they first brought in the box just to put on TV, it changed how I pitched because I used to be able to get away. People always bring up Greg Maddox is the example of this. Mm. But everybody did this. If you could, if you could get away with an extra two or three inches of strike zone, you would do that. And you you would just kind of, based on that day, get to have a, a great game because of the strike zone that day. And you would take advantage of it, and star players would get more. People who had a relationship with the umpire who knew what their zone was going to be would get more. And, and that happens less now, but it still absolutely happens well, and the story with pitchers there is if you start the game throwing strikes and you're painting the black and then as you're pitching a good game you start slowly working it out a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and they start giving them to you and then all of a sudden you're throwing a ball three inches off the plate that the batter can't even reach and you're striking people out with it right and a, and again a human umpire goes well i gave him that strike last time so I have to keep giving him that strike. Yeah. Where a robot knows the difference between that little bit of space and that that he's actually three inches away from where he was in right, the first exactly. inning. All right, well, let's move on to Avs. Nathan, who, what rule would you want changed? Yeah, I think everyone knows what's coming on yep. this one. Uh, <laughs> the offsides rule, or, or more specifically, the offsides review challenge, it, it needs to be changed. Arguably was implemented into the league because of the Avs and Matt Duchesne being 10 feet off sides against Nashville years ago. And it's pretty much haunted the Avs ever since then. Uh, they've gotten the wrong end of this call about every way imaginable, whether a player had lifted his skate by a millimeter or the <sighs> other team had technically not touched the puck while they were offside. Or There was even a case two years ago where the NHL had to apologize to the team because they got the call incorrect. And then, of course, this past season in Game 7 where Landeskog was not in the play but was technically on the ice, so it should have been a too-many-men call if he was offsides. And there's just way too many technicalities and caveats to the rule that it absolutely has to be simplified. You could pretty much just erase a handful of the technicalities off of the rule, and then for the challenge itself, some kind of limitation needs to be made. Yes, you want to get the call correct, but when you're spending five minutes staring at an iPad trying to tell the difference between a pixel of blue and a pixel of white, it, no one's gaining anything of value out of that. It's it's too much. You've gone too far in the other direction. So now. what's the solution? That's the hard part. The ultimate solution is the same thing as the strike zone in baseball. This coming season, the mm-hmm. NHL is starting to do player tracking and things like that. Ultimately, you want to get that to where if they're offsides, you blow it dead immediately, and that solves the problem. There isn't a play that happens afterward, and you potentially score a goal that gets brought back. The play is just dead, Mm -hmm. and that solves the problem in the long term. 
Land, I, for me, with that Landis God call, like you just couldn't, you didn't have a good angle. Yeah, it, it, arguably his skate could have been on the blue line. It could have. Didn't even talk about that. And if they just move the door, why, can they just force people right. to move the door yeah. outside of the zone? Like the 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 the, the uh, location of a door where you come mm. in and on and off the ice should not affect who won Game Seven right. of and, a playoff series. There is no consistent ruling on where your door has to be in the NHL on your bench. So some teams have it outside of the blue line. Some have it in. It's, That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Right. No, it, it, if we weren't playing in San Jose, it may have been a different story. That's that's outside. And what was the official statement on that? That because yeah, I that, thought the oh. NHL was going to apologize because I th- I to this day believe that that was the wrong call. Yeah, I. I can't call it the right call at the same time. If Landy jumps over the boards instead of opening the mm-hmm. door, he's out of the play officially. But it that play specifically, the rule coincides with the five-foot rule on making a change. Right. Where if you're within five feet of the bench, you don't count as a body on the ice, so you don't get a too-many-men call. That's so... So weird. you're not the sixth man on the ice, but you're still off sides. It, that just doesn't add up. Silly. Hmm. I agree. That's a, I agree with that rule. We should definitely change that one. Harrison, we'll move on to you. Uh, the rule I would change for the NBA is they should move the three-point line back. And mm. um, this has like, been nice. happening over the last few years, but there's going to be a point in probably three seasons or so where teams are taking more threes than, more, than twos. And wow. that's going to be ridiculous. That's how I've been my entire basketball career. <laughs> 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 and me too. But I just don't think it's good for the game. I, I think – the game is going to look too homogenous. Is that the word? Mm. Where just everybody's taking threes, yeah. and they're they're going to be taking threes because just statistically and analytically, it's the right thing to do. But um, right, I, there, there was that one point when Steph Curry was shooting over a hundred percent, like effective, yeah, scoring percentage from the corner because right. he was making more than sixty six percent, and he was getting more value. Like that's yeah. ridiculous. I just don't think it's good for the game. And I mean, like, I'm a fan of the three point shot. Like, I, I love the threes, but I just don't think it's good for the game to be, you know, to get to a point where we're probably shooting more threes than twos. How just far, from like a stylistic standpoint? Yeah. How far back do you move it then? Because we've seen Steph Curry just throw up an open shot from <laughs> yeah. 30 feet yeah, and, I mean, and drain it. <laughs> like, just move it back a couple feet to, like, 25 feet would be good, I believe. But then you definitely would have to widen the court, too, which is also something I'm in favor with, in favor of. But And I feel like it's not Steph Curry that you're worried about. Like, it's, yeah. like, the fact that, like, Mo Harkless is, like, shooting threes all the <laughs> right. time. You know, you're like, all right, some of these guys have to be able to, like, go down and, and play basketball rather than just shoot. Yeah. We're just going to get to a point in a couple years, and people have written about it. And, I mean, if you watch the Houston Rockets play, yep. like, sometimes they do shoot more threes than twos. A lot of the time, actually. But I, I just with like, Houston and analytics? The Houston Astros shifted on Tony Walters the other day. What is it? They, this guy's just in Houston. You just let the numbers tell you what to do. I yeah. guess. NASA. Yeah, exactly. Space brain. I guess, man. But I just don't like the way it's going stylistically. Yeah. How would that affect the Nuggets, Harrison? Um, I mean, the Nuggets are are decent three point shooting team, better than average. Um, I don't know if it would really affect them. They have know, like the best. Anyways. One of the best post scorers in the league. So true. How does probably help them spreading out the court? Because as you move the three point line back, you're going to get players further and further apart offensively. How does that affect working the ball in down low? Then, well, it actually like 
bring more spacing to the game for yeah. sure because a lot of the spacing is determined by the three-point line because just by default that's like where you line up if you're you know mm -hmm. a guard or a wing so that would bring more spacing you know to to post players and whatnot so could bring back the post game. <laughs> I like it. In a way. Will the sky hook come back? <laughs> then I'm in favor. Yeah, right. Now, now I'm definitely on board. <laughs> but the other part of that argument is you would have to widen the court, which I'm also in favor of. Yeah. Because it's too narrow. How far would you? It's already too, it already should be right. wider. Well, when even you, with the current. Yeah. When you well, stand the corner right now, you can barely fit like your foot in between the three-point line <laughs> right. and yeah, the yeah. Uh, out-of-bounds line. But How many can't. stupid out of bounds ones are there? Oh, totally. Per year, where a guy thinks he's he's just standing in the corner, like, nah, right. your heel was just on. It's like this is the only spot any further up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's yeah. not enough room over there, and I think they would widen the court or would have widened the court already if not for the courtside seats it would take away. That's the big oh. obstacle in widening the court. That's another thing is like move them back a little bit too. Like they're too close. They're right there. Yeah. <laughs> don't need Spike Lee yelling at y'all game. Oh, oh but come like, on. You don't need Drake. Does say Drake being is a little a close. No, 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 no. I'm more worried about like I'm trying to go save a ball. I'm not trying to run into like seven people and get hurt because of it. I'm not trying to get a beer splashed on me. Yeah. It's gonna stop the players from eating pretzels though. Jamal really likes that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I love how close the fans are. Like, I wish we could keep that, but also just widen the court a bit. Um, going back to the uh, virtual reality goggles, oh, yeah. I got to watch a Nuggets game mm -hmm. on those, and it was so cool. It's insane, right? <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah, it was, it's crazy. How you f you really feel like it's you're insane. right there. Mm -hmm. Big fan. All right, Ryan. We'll move on to Broncos. What rule would you want the NFL to change? I have two. And I don't know which one to choose. One I've brought up a lot on the BSN Broncos podcast, but because of the way that this has been trending, I want to bring up a different one. The spotting of the ball in the NFL is one of the most unscientific. It's almost as dumb as as the check swing stuff. Like, I don't know if anyone's tracking how accurate they are on this, <laughs> but I guarantee you it's not like 90%. It's like 5%. Do they actually get it within like an inch of where it should have been? Yeah. And if they have the... If they have the technology to do that in tennis where they know exactly where the ball hit, they should be able to have the technology to know exactly where the tip of the ball was when a part of your body touched the ground that, that rules you down. So I think that would be further down the road. But right now, it's, it is the biggest guess. There's times where they miss it by like a full yard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they always say at football, game of inches. Well, like <laughs> hundreds of inches are being lost every single game just because the refs don't know where to put the ball. And, and that's another one where like, it's not their fault. It's just really hard to see exactly where a guy went down. Like there's a pile you're on the sideline. It's not fair really to the refs to expect them to get it right. I think they can use some technology to change that so we can have the ball in the right spot. I cannot believe there's not already a chip in the ball that right. will tell you what yard it is on. Because they need that in football more than any other sport. Yeah. How ridiculous is it when they're reviewing where the ball is and like if the running back crossed the first down marker and they're like trying to line it up on the side and just like guess if he crossed the line or not. There's, it's ridiculous. There's the infamous uh, measurement when like the referee oh put the note God. card to see if oh he could like fit it yes. between <laughs> the end of the sticks. I just the only thing that makes this difficult is it's not just a chip in the ball. You'd also need a ch you, you'd also need the the gear 
and like stuff on their elbows or something to that makes it responsive maybe it's in the field i don't know there's got to be a way though yeah that you can cross reference those two things and then again it's just from a booth and in the amount of time it takes the ref to go from the sideline to where the ball is someone comes in and says okay like you know you cross they they have a little thing that cross references for them they said the ball is at the 33 you know I'm sure on first and second down, the spots are so bad compared to third, third and, and fourth, fourth down. Yeah. Oh, and there's I'm nothing sure. worse like than your team, you know, has a seven yard run, should be second and three, but for some reason they spot it a, a yard before and yeah. it's second and four, and like that matters because then oh, you yeah. get a three yard run on second down and now it's third and one, and then you have an incomplete pass on third down. It's like, well, that would have been a first down if they just spotted the ball in the right place. Has this been a conversation in the NFL? Do you think people would be against it? I don't know why. I can't imagine why anyone would be against it. Um, I just think it's a it's a technology mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. thing that they have to overcome because I I don't think you're gonna be able to like force players to wear like specific elbow pads that like can tell when their elbow touches down or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some sort of technology leap that needs to be made. But there's also uh, you know if you if you could only do the football at least in reviews, you could go back and say, okay, well, we know at this exact moment is when his knee touched down and the, the chip in the ball tells us it's directly above the 34-yard line or whatever. So you could still get by it without being perfect just for like a review scenario. And, you know, it would, uh, I want to hop in on that too just because when it comes to the technology in this stuff, because I hear this a lot on my thing as well, right? It's like, well, there are, there's issues with the technology and how do you do and what about this issue and what about that issue? Like when it comes to this stuff where there's a will, there's a way. Part of the problem yeah. is that they're not putting money and resources into just getting the tech right, and they very easily could. I just watched them put Tom Cruise and Seth Rogen's face on Bill Hader the other night. You guys that was watch, crazy. You, that? <laughs> you guys see that? Like what? The, I didn't see that. What you didn't see the, oh. the you know those fake those face videos where they can put oh, someone's okay, face yeah. on. Check out the Bill Hader one. It's crazy. So like he's doing impressions of Tom Cruise, and then like the te- like his face changes all of a sudden to Tom Cruise, and like Ooh. the scary thing is you're gonna be able to make fake videos now, right? Of you know presidential candidates right exactly yeah that's where it's going to get really dangerous uh i didn't want to get into politics (laughs) but i was just saying like you could have you could like make a fake video of like joe flacco saying he hates denver and you know wants to go back like and who's gonna be able to tell like photoshop was already such a huge hurdle for people to get over now there's gonna be able like videos and and fake voices and all sorts of stuff like an NBA example was it uh, Donald Stern? Was that the guy with the, with the Clippers? Donald yeah. Sterling. 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 Yeah. yeah, like that was a recording that it, like you know indicted him or whatever. Well, now you couldn't do that because like how would you prove that that was a real recording when they can just make that stuff up? It's kind of crazy. But yeah, Back to and, your point. Yeah, well, and you know we've we're a couple of years away from self driving cars. We've got oh, nobody can't wait for that. Nobody <laughs> would go into surgery and tell their surgeon like, could you actually not do all the three D mapping of my <laughs> organ with that computer? I prefer the human element. Like, can <laughs> you just risk. eyeball it? Can you spot this like an NFL ref, please, for me? With like, uh. no. So if they can literally map out the entire inside of your body for surgery, I think we can figure out where a football landed, where a baseball crossed a 3d zone we we the technology <laughs> is available yes That's one of the very exciting things about the nhl getting into that is they've partnered with casinos and if you're looking for someone who wants that data 
Gambling I mean, is is all over that. And if you don't want your stuff hacked, that's one of the things people always yeah. bring up with tech. It can be hacked. If anyone knows how to make sure your machine doesn't get hacked, it's the people right. who are trying not to give up millions of dollars on it. <laughs> It'd be kind of funny, though, if like a Rockies fan hacked the strike zone and just made everything <laughs> look like strikes. Pitch out. Strike! <laughs> Going on. For me with the NFL, the rule that I would want changed would be the overtime rule. I, I think it's absolutely oh, yeah. ridiculous. And that's something you can do tomorrow. Yeah, we could do it today. Uh, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that both teams don't have a chance on offense to I mean, score. College overtime is like the greatest thing exactly. in sports. Why, Why not, not just I don't adopt do that? that? I don't even think you have to go to college overtime because like, you could make the argument that college overtime isn't like real football. So... Yeah. Just go to exactly what you have now, but no matter what, the other team gets a chance to touch the ball. The fact that Patrick Mahomes didn't have a chance to play in the last drive. Uh, that's fine by me. Okay. Uh. <laughs> and probably fine by most Broncos fans, but still, it's just the that's ridiculous. Like, yeah. you should be able to – your quarterback should be able to help win the game. That should have been the playoff scenario that had everyone up in arms. I mean, obviously, the, the pass interference was ridiculous, but the MVP of the league – you know, going up against the greatest of all time, you have this amazing game, and, and it basically is decided by a coin flip. Yeah. Kind of silly. The half measure of it really weirded me out, too, when they were like, well, you can kick a field goal, but then it's like, yeah. what kind of weird? that It's like, that'd be like playing the top of the 10th inning and saying, if they score a run or two, you will play the bottom of the 10th. But if they hit a three-run jack, game's over. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah what? You're very right on that. Uh, the other one that the one that I've brought up on the podcast a lot is I think there should be a committee that is hired that can shoot the and it can be zero players or it could be 10 players one year. They can elect players who are eligible to go to the draft before they reach their junior year. There are just certain players that I just don't think should have to wait that long. And I don't think it's fair to them to have to continue playing in college when they're ready for the NFL. Like, perfect example and it would it would have hurt my favorite team lavisca chenault doesn't need to come back for another year in college like he his body injury. is ready yeah. he's he's physically an nfl player he could start on sundays right now and he would and he probably would have been a first round draft pick last year i i just think that like you can't make it the teams that vote on it because then there would be like weird collusion going on just hire an outside committee they decide if it's if it's and it, you can even make it if it's a ten person committee it has to be unanimous all ten of them believe this player is ready for the NFL draft they should be able to go. What about for basketball? Do you think that would help with the NBA? I mean, I don't think there needs to be a committee. They just should abolish the one and done rule. Yeah. You should just be able to go from high school to the pros. And now it's getting to a point where guys are actually hurting their draft stock in college, where they're like just sitting out a year in training. Yeah, I mean, a perfect example for the NFL would be Trevor Lawrence. He would have been the number one overall pick 100%. this year. He was a true freshman. Now, you could make the argument that his body isn't ready for the NFL, but still, he shouldn't have to play two more years in college just to appease this rule when he he should be making million, like he should be a multimillionaire as we're sitting here, and right mm -hmm. now he's just a broke college student. That Tua Tagovailoa too. This year would have been interesting between Visca, Tagovailoa, and Lawrence. Right, and. And I, I think the committee would have gotten it right. It's that's <laughs> a very hypothetical committee. weird divide because you have that in basketball and football. In hockey, there have been talks of actually moving the draft age to be a year older hmm. because most of the players you get maybe a handful 
that play in their 18-year-old season, and, and that's it. And then in baseball, you're talking about if you make it to the league before your 20s, it's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> right. So it's interesting how they, the two shape up where they want the football and basketball want to get younger, and hockey and, and baseball, it's a non-issue, or, or maybe even they want to get older. Well, that one-and-done rule is just there to really protect the teams, I think. For sure. Yeah. Because of people like... I don't know. What was it? J.R. Smith. Robert Swift. Yeah, like there is a good one that most people listen to this podcast. Robert yeah, Swift. Oh, yeah. This is like a big white guy who like dominated high school and then was drafted to Seattle and kind of had his life no. get away from him. Yeah. <laughs> it it does present a whole other problem with the opportunity to get paid, but that's a long and windy road that we don't have to go down so yeah i mean in the end if you were a freshman in high school and a fortune 500 company wanted to hire you to right. be their ceo or whatever like right you could go do it right. and That's there'd be no recourse yeah yeah all right well we're gonna take a break and when we come back we'll be doing who won the week hey guys it's Allie and Lindsay here and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription it is Weinster. The best thing about Weinster is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Weinster is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Weinster is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Weinster, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Weinster is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Weinster is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Weinster.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Welcome back into the show. We are doing our favorite segment of Who Won the Week. I Googled to see if there was a song, and then I, there's no luck. I really want a song for you this thought segment. thought there was going to be a song titled Who Won the Week? I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> We're in there's a, a lot on the internet. There's a lot, of songs. There's there a lot of songs on the internet. You <laughs> never know. It could have fit. I heard about this on another podcast I listened to called uh, Reply All. There's actually a guy whose like goal is just to make the most songs of anyone ever. So like every day he <laughs> he like posts like a hundred different songs. What, what on qualifies YouTube. as a song? Like can you just play one note and be like that's a song? No, he like I think has it's like at melody? least a minute. Like he has like okay. like he just has a song about like putting a hole in a table or like <laughs> just anything. He wants to just have like a million songs. Well, we need him to make a song for us or anyone out there who's a musician. Hit us up with a fun little jingle, ten second yeah. jingle of who won the week. I'll do it. Oh, <laughs> are you Thank and Drew? You. Wow. Me and Drew can collab. Wait, yeah, there you go. First first time ever collaborative event. <laughs> All right. Well, and last time ever. <laughs> <laughs> and last. Last week, the Avs won again. Boo. Boo. I mean, 
the abs fans are just out and ready to ready to vote <laughs> i'll try to live up to the hype no promises <laughs> sam but gerard won correct yes sam gerard won if you it don't wasn't sampo no <laughs> <laughs> if you don't win this week it's gonna cost you one win above replacement oh geez one more be it negative, negative one already one more, yeah, yeah. So it was between Champ Bailey, Hall of Fame induction, and powerful speech. That got 38% of the votes. The Rockies not making a stupid move during the trade deadline. That got 5%. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and the Nuggets getting a Christmas Day game for the first time since 2012 got 11%. And Avs extending Samuel Gerrard got 46%. But there were some fans in the comments who were fair one of them was avs fan voting b a team not doing something dumb always wins which there you go that's you a nice win. low bar to set you can for your be team. <laughs> you can be just an don't fan do anything and make zero moves throughout ones. the year yeah <laughs> you know if you never make a move you can never make a dumb move yeah uh, it's true i think the broncos should have won last week i, yeah, too. I, don't, I don't think yeah. it was close <laughs> We should have like a committee vote and a fan vote, kind of like the oh. All Star game. Yeah, the Broncos like dominated Hall of Fame yeah. festivities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was pretty cool. So uh, we're all collectively saying Broncos won. Yes. yes. Yeah. The popular vote was Avs. I just want to say, you, you guys gave me a hard time for saying my argument was going to lose horribly, and it absolutely <laughs> did. I knew fans <laughs> weren't going to be happy with me saying they did the right thing by not making moves, but. But you went 20 seconds of your time just saying this is bad. I just wanted everyone to know (laughs) that I could hear what they were hearing because I know that everyone's mad. The Rockies didn't do anything in the trade deadline. So I didn't want to act like I was going out here and just, you know, (laughs) (laughs) pretending that their pain doesn't exist. All right. Moving on to this week. You guys know the rules. I'll give you 60 seconds to make your argument. We'll start off with Broncos. All right, well, I kind of already burned mine in the first segment, but uh, Drew Locke won the week for me. I kind of mentioned that he took one on the chin and bounced back, and for me, young players, that's the most important thing you need to see from them. Uh, You are not, especially at quarterback, you are not going to walk into the NFL and just instantly have success unless you're my guy, Kyler Murray. Uh, (laughs) But anything but like the the top of the top, the cream of the crop, are going to have to come in and have a transition period, and Kyler probably will too. Uh, but Drew taking one on the chin, coming back, really showing out, having some really great throws. Uh, and as we stand here today, I believe he will be the second quarterback out for the Broncos when they play the 49ers on Monday. So he moved up a spot on the depth chart based seconds. on that performance. And uh, it, he really gave Broncos fans a lot of hope. So uh, with that, he wins the week. All right. Anyone want to poke holes in the argument? No. <laughs> are, are we are we comfortable with Drew Locke as the number two quarterback? You're gonna have to be because yeah. the Broncos <laughs> have a lot. They have three different six to eight week injuries, which is weird because it's obviously better than a season ending injury. But yeah. it it's the worst thing you can have when you're making your 53 man roster because you know these guys are gonna be back early in the season, so you don't put them on IR. Right, uh, and it's gonna force them to cut some corners when they build their roster, which means they're probably only gonna be able to keep two quarterbacks. So Drew Locke is now your backup. What about Brett Rippon? Mm. He's been getting a lot of love from like everyone. He has tools, and for an undrafted guy, he can play a bit. Um, he has had days where he makes incredible throws in practice, one after another. But again, they're they're not going to have room for him, so they're just yeah. going to have to try and uh, stash him on the practice squad. And that's why I think you're not going to see much of him in the preseason. The Broncos don't want to give anyone, you know, they don't want a Kyle Sloter situation happening where. Mm. 
<laughs> they cut him, and then they can't get him back on the practice squad. Yeah. Someone actually playing well that might have impact on the, the big squad is kind of a unicorn in August for Denver right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. All right, Drew. Why did the Rockies win this week? They did not, but uh, <laughs> Dom Nunez did. Dom Nunez won the week, making his major league debut at, as we were talking about earlier, yes. 24 years old. Uh, and, and that's actually part of the reason why. I first met this young man at 17 years old in 2013 as he began his professional baseball career. And it has taken a long time for him to get to where and, and this is a guy who wasn't a first round pick this wasn't john gray or brendan rogers or kyle freeland coming up with the shine he had to do this under the radar for the most part uh, other than me i don't think he was getting a lot of media coverage out there he just put the ground and again and did it at catcher and we talked earlier about how difficult that position is to play and they actually had to reconvert him back into being seconds. a catcher he used to be a second baseman for a little while to see him make his debut throw out the first guy who ever tried to steal a base against him get his first career hit which was also a home run which i can't remember the last time tony wolters hit a home run and all of a sudden you've got this burst Five of seconds. youthful energy on this team that they desperately need Ah, you did it with one second left. It's <laughs> good stuff. Um, you mentioned Brendan Rodgers. Dom Nunez now has one more career home run than Brendan Rodgers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, sometimes – and Rodgers rushed much more quickly through the minor leagues, and some of that was because it, he had shown better at times, and there's a little bit more natural talent there, and he was ahead of the game. But uh, it can also go to show you the value of getting all of those extra looks in and, and taking the long way uh, to get to the major leagues because I think we saw in Nunez, Nunez yesterday a guy who was really ready for the moment, not blown away by it, and ready to just play his normal game. Pretty interesting company of Rockies to hit a home run in their first game. With On the one hand, you have guys like Todd Helton, and then you also have Jason Jennings. Uh, yeah. Bring so, up Jason Jennings. Yeah. Je yeah, Jennings, that was one of the more memorable uh, Major League debuts ever. He also pitched really well in that game. Sometimes people forget because he also hit a home run. He threw, he, did he throw a complete game? Complete maybe, game. Maybe even a complete shutout. game shutout. Complete and, game shutout and a home run. And a home run. That's quite the debut. How was um, At Shea Stadium, I believe? That sounds right. How was Nunez after postgame? Oh, I mean, he, he was obviously elated. And it's always tough. This seems to happen to the Rockies a lot. A guy makes his major league <laughs> debut, has a great game, and everyone else on the team plays terrible, and they lose. So, you know, you, you've got yeah. to say the right things about hope we come out and get a win tomorrow and all that. But he was clearly, I mean, he was beaming. He, he was taken in the moment as well he should. All right, Nathan, we'll move on to you. Why did the Avs win the week? Yeah, the three-headed monster won this week. Oh. All three were ranked by the NHL Network as top 20 at their positions. Landeskog 18th and Rantanen at 9th for the wingers and McKinnon the third best center in the NHL. There are only a handful of teams that actually had three forwards ranked at all, and most of them were like Toronto, which have Matthews and Tavares, who are two centers that don't regularly play together. So they were one of the few three-man units that actually all got ranked. The other one was Boston, who has a couple of players that are 10 years older than McKinnon, maybe even a little bit more. So they have many more years of this ahead of them, and just a... Nice little reminder that even in the middle of the off season, the best line in hockey still resides in Colorado. I, I like that one, and I can tell you they're going to win again this week. <laughs> I, uh, I thought you were going to be like, the three-headed monster wins, because I looked it up, and they sold like 17 <laughs> shirts this week. <laughs> <laughs> Led BSN. 
Now, how, I, hold, now, hold on. Now, I'm going to fight back a little bit against the Azure. We don't do a whole lot of poking in, but how much do we really care how other people come out and, I mean, rank these guys? Power rankings, we talked about that before. Like, it's nice. It's a nice honor, but was anyone confused before this about whether or not these three guys were good at hockey? I could care less about rankings that come out. Yeah. Every year, it, it's, it's also nice the to make it official, I right? Think, I, I have you to give, give him a I have break. to give Rudo credit for at least coming <laughs> no, up with for something. Sure. Oh yeah, no, it's good, but and he's gonna win, so let's not feel bad. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, but top one hundred rankings, every sport, it's just filler material. It's how just they, stuff you know, to get conversations. Do you know going. how they voted this? Um, it's experts on the NHL network okay, voted okay. on this. They did a it's fan vote as well. It's better than the player one that they do in the NFL. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> MLB network has never ranked Nolan Arenado the best third baseman in baseball. Really? Last year was Jose Ramirez who had to get sent down to AAA. Who now? Year. Yeah. <laughs> for, you know, Chris Bryant. They'll find literally anyone else they Besides can put a vote. Yep. It, it is a nice fielding. change for the Avs, the team yeah. that has, has struggled to get national media attention for yeah. years yeah. now. So yeah. That's a good point. Good change of pace, at very least. Which doesn't make sense to me, because I feel like the Avs are like a staple franchise of anything like that's not in the East. They were until they or weren't. In Canada. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> right, but I don't know. I feel like the Broncos get love in the NFL because they, they're like, you know, one of the few places in the middle of the country that aren't on a coast that have ha- always had a, a proud franchise. We are a, a very unique location, right? There mm-hmm. aren't that many teams surrounding us. We get plenty of fans from up in Wyoming or in Nebraska and things like that for all of our sports, really. So it, it is kind of a, a bastion out in the mountain time zone that everyone seems to forget about out east, especially. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Harrison, finish us off. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, th- I'll say the Nuggets won the week because Nikola Jokic helping Serbia to two exhibition mm. wins over Lithuania in a FIBA World Cup tune-up games. And I don't think Serbia is going to win the World Cup. Like, I-, I still would take the U.S. to win it, but I believe they'll have a shot. Should uh, we be rooting for Serbia? Yeah, of course. All right. Definitely. Is that your argument? Yeah, you're done. Argument. Oh, you finished it Look, in 30 seconds. Yo- Jokic, yeah, <laughs> there. Uh, Jokic came off the bench in both these games, which was weird. But he just joined the national team a couple days ago, uh, so they're ramping up his minutes. But you know, he played well. Uh, I think they'll feature him more and more. You know, obviously, when the tournament starts on August 31st. What other Nuggets are in the tournament? So Wancho's playing for Spain. Love Wancho. And uh, potentially Mason Plumley for Team USA. Oh, really? God, that's really how far down they've gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're about to make the final cuts for Team USA. I think by the time we record next week, they might have already made them, or maybe the week after that. But he's in the final pool of 17 players, I believe, that they're going to take 12 from. And if I'm Team USA, I'm loading up on centers because you got to play Jokic, you got to play Marcus All, you got to play Rudy Gobert in this thing. So I think he could make it. Wow. I spoke with someone who saw them practice and said Derek White was the best player on the court. Well, he did get elevated from uh, the select team, which is like the team of young guys they put together to play against Team USA, and they bumped him up to the varsity squad. So I believe it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Clyde Drexler used to come off the bench for this team. 
Yeah, but that was back <laughs> when. <laughs> like, I know, but I'm like, just. Uh, I mean, come on. I mean, nobody <laughs> wants to play anymore. Right. And it's, I, I don't, I don't blame them. I wouldn't do I don't it. Blame them. Yeah. It's a six-week commitment, right. and the tournament ends like September seventeenth, and right. training camp starts two weeks later. Come on. Yeah. Couldn't you say it's good training though? It's like helping them prepare. Yeah, but Maybe. you got to play eighty-two game season yeah. plus twenty-eight more games no, in the playoffs. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's a, a bit much. Well, the Nuggets are only out to play 16 playoff games next year. Yeah, just sweep all their way through. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, as always, we'll be putting a poll. Let us know who you think won the week. Let's maybe get get a, <laughs> n- get another team besides the Avs. But, um, yeah, we also want to answer your questions as we do on all of our other podcasts. If you're a subscriber and you leave a question on the post, we'll get to it. It can be about any sport. It can be about all sports. It can be an idea on a segment. Just let us know. This podcast is for you guys, for all of you fans. So be sure to let us know. And also be sure to subscribe to the Denver Sports Podcast feed. This won't be on your all team feeds forever. So be sure to do that. And go leave us a rating if you enjoy this pod. We got so such great feedback on Twitter, but be sure to leave us a rating on wherever you listen to podcasts. Ali, quick unanswered question from the episode. When was the last time the Rockies won consecutive games? To Drew, it feels like two years. <laughs> Actually, it happened. He said he's at a month. Late okay. July, 25th, last game against the Nats. They win 8 7. 26th, they beat the Reds 12 2. Good times. How about when's the last time they won a series? You get that for Forgot us? Forgot they stole that game Not against the, the Nationals. No, oh, no the, you'd have to it do some filler. It'd be the Reds it that the the Reds? out of the All-Star break. No, they've done it before since. Oh, they beat the Giants. That yes, was th- that's For some was. reason. That series against the Nationals was famously the series that was going to save the Rockies it was season. One, that's it right. Was. It was one way or the other. That, it that was, was the whole season, yep. that series, yep. if I remember correctly. And they got embarrassed, and it's kind of been going on since. <laughs> R.I.P. All right, well. I think they're 13 and 33 in their last. I think that's what it is. Drew, stop making us sad. (laughs) These are facts. (laughs) My job is to report facts, Alan. (laughs) All right, that's all I've got for you guys today. For everyone here, follow them all all on Twitter. They have a bunch of usernames. I don't want to go through them all. But (laughs) follow everyone on Twitter and leave us a review. We'll see you next week. Tucked away from the city, Raccoon Creek is your go-to golf course. Their location in Littleton provides more than just a beautiful golfing experience. They have the perfect setting for year-round events with unbelievable views. Just a fun place to golf. It's a different atmosphere. It's a really nice course. It's fast greens. They have a good crew there, so it's always in good shape. They're having uh, comedy shows. they got like this really cool fire pit in the back now. It's changed a lot. There's a whole, whole new patio that has like the best views in Colorado, I think. You can see the mountains, you see the golf course. You know, kind of like Cheers. Everybody knows your name and your handicap. That was Todd. He's been golfing at Raccoon Creek for years now, and it's his favorite golf course in the area because of the environment that they've created. Raccoon Creek has embraced technology, adding golf board rentals to their course, as well as updating their golf carts to be equipped with GPS that provides score updates of sporting events and live scoring for outings and tournaments. They also have an app where you can schedule tee times, receive happy hour specials, and stay up to date on all of their upcoming events. Download their app today and receive a free bucket of balls or check them out online at raccooncreek.com.